Welcome to A Reason for Hope, your question connection with the entire Word of God. We'd love for you to join the conversation. Simply follow us on our Facebook page at Calvary Christian Fellowship. If you have a question, please text or email us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. And on today's episode, we have a special guest. Let's tune in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to A Reason for Hope, the May 9th, 2022 edition. My name's Bo. I'm Peter. And in this amazing edition, we are going to have just a blast. Me and you are going to be able to answer some questions on the Bible, and that's what A Reason for Hope is about. It's a really a Bible answer uh, formatted podcast that we do Monday through Friday, 5 o'clock to 6 o'clock. The Richards are usually uh, the hosts, Scott and Sean, but you're on with Sean quite a bit. And uh, I'm kind of in here every now and then. And uh, anyway, you guys get a chance to participate by going to uh, a few different sites to be able to catch us and get your questions in for the broadcast. One of them is Calvary Christian Fellowship on Facebook. So you can go to Facebook, go to Calvary Christian Fellowship, type it in the search, and you'll find us and we'll be live and you can go into the comment corner there and ask your question. The second way is through A Reason for Hope on YouTube. You can go there and go to A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope. And there you can comment once again, ask your question in that comment corner. And we will get it there. Or the third area is calvarychristianfellowship.com. Click the Live Now button, and you will be able to watch us and also ask your question, and we will take your question on the air. So we're open to all kinds of questions on the Bible. The Bible is a collective work uh, of many books, and so there's a lot of different things uh, to talk about, a lot of historical background, a lot of uh, language issues to work out. And a lot of context within it. So uh, you might be a little overwhelmed. That's why we're here is to answer your questions on it to the best of our ability, to the glory of God. Really, that's what our desire is to do. And so with that, Peter, you want to start us off by praying? Yeah, let's do it. Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to be here. We thank you for the work that you do in our lives. I do pray that this time would be for you, that uh, as we answer these questions, we would seek to honor your word and the truth in it. And in your name, amen. Amen. So I'm going to get kind of everything ready on the Internet and kind of see where we're at and what questions are coming in. Um, But before we get into those questions, I do want to uh, um, let people know that on our Reason for Hope uh, YouTube page, there are three sermons that you did on Sunday, and they're all there available I would recommend anybody listen to them. You did a Mother's Day uh, kind of trifecta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you say that? So why don't you kind of describe a little bit about what you did? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, these are issues that me and Bo usually talk about on our podcast uh, with Running Light because we talk about issues of sexuality and things to that nature. And so in those sermons, I take the idea of feminism, the idea of maternal the maternal instinct and motherhood in general and i look at it through a biblical lens like what can we understand about motherhood from a biblical lens because so much of our our not only understanding but treatment of issues like that comes through a cultural lens so we're brought up in a particular venue a particular ideal that we discover together as a community and then we kind of transpose that on the bible and actually i didn't get into that this uh, i didn't get into that this much 
in the sermons themselves, but even in the Bible, you see this happen. So you see people in the Bible treat women pretty poorly, even though the Bible itself doesn't tell these guys to do it. So you see, for instance, polygamy practice in the Bible. You see people rape women in the Bible. There's a lot of mistreatment of women within the biblical context, but it's never written as like a, this is great. It's written as this is what's happened. And in the sermons, I also pointed back to Genesis chapter three, verses 15 through 16, where God is basically sending down the curses upon the serpent, the woman, and Adam for eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent is obviously Satan. And there's this really interesting section where he says that Satan will have enmity with the woman. Um, So right there in the beginning of the Bible, you see that Satan has a specific hatred for women that he doesn't necessarily hold towards men. It's not that he really thinks that men are too great, but he hones in and specifically tempts the woman. And then afterwards, God declares that he's going to have enmity with the woman. And then throughout the Bible, you see Satan specifically attack women. Uh, You see it in Daniel chapter 11. I quoted a passage where the Antichrist is said to not regard the desire of women. Satan is seen as being one trying to oppress uh, the maternal figure in the book of Revelation chapter 12, which me and you are going to talk about on Wednesday. So you see this really interesting thread throughout the scriptures that Satan specifically seems to really dislike women. And because of that, the cultures of men tend to bend away from treating women well Mm. and motherhood in general. Yeah. And it's interesting because we live in a culture that really doesn't, um, uh, I would say, speaks highly of treating women well. But really what you brought out in some of your sermons was that what's happening in the culture through third wave feminism and present day feminism and uh, and whether it's gender studies or all these different things, it's it's not it's not really helping women. It's actually annihilating them. Right. And I thought that was a really interesting point. That's right. So most cultures in the world, when we talk about like the patriarchy and stuff like that, what we mean is that these cultures see the feminine and despise it and try to annihilate and try to oppress it, subjugate it. Our culture is unique in that we deny the feminine. We deny the motherhood and the maternal ability of women. And so instead of oppressing women we're actually erasing them we're treating them as if they do not exist yeah and this all started i i quoted this in my sermon it started with a woman named simone de beauvoir who literally said that women cannot be allowed to take on the role of mother because if they do we'll never become equal with men in the workplace right they saw that that um really a woman's value was actually seen in her ability to produce like men and and then and they missed something very important, right? They missed something that women could, how women lay down their life, mm-hmm. how women um, sacrifice. And they, they looked at all of, of women in history that have sacrificed themselves through raising children and taking care of homes and, and taking care of and trading and, 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 and their farm crops and, and all the business that women have laid down their life for, their family businesses and everything. And they kind of totally re- re- said, well, whatever to that. Yeah. And they say, <laughs> well, not important. that's not that important. What's important is that this person, a woman is able to be a CEO, right. like a man. Right. And that's where she becomes super valuable right. in the culture. And what they, for, what they just never really realized is they weren't, they were eliminating yeah. the, the feminine. Right. And you point 
point this out in your book too, right. Corner Pastor, where you mm-hmm. talk about how when we talk, even the word woman is what? That she has a womb, she has a womb you know? Yeah. And so when you erase that and you erase the womb part of woman, what are you left with? Just a man. That's you know? right. There's no distinction in gender anymore. That's right. And that's what the culture's trying to do. Um, and doing something that's impossible, right? Because right. when, you know, you can't, a three is not a two and a two is not a five. Right. And no matter how much we would like to think, and I would love to think in math class, I would love to have been able to tell my teacher like, hey man, I don't know if the numbers matter much. It's all relative. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that have been a cool answer? <laughs> I have a strong feeling the answer is seven. Like, <laughs> that's yeah, that's right. And they go, well, it's not. And I go, well, we can change that other number <laughs> and make it a seven, right? But it, it wouldn't have worked because it was an objective reality. Right. Well, there's an objective reality here too. Right. Um, But if we are taking out the objective reality and we say there is no objective reality, then really what you just said is not even objective reality, too. Right. So anything anybody says at that point, Mm -hmm. meaning it doesn't matter what you say at that point, it is all non-objective. Right. It is all subjective. It's all arbitrary reasoning. Right. Meaning it's reasoning not based on anything solid, Mm -hmm. any kind of. Um, let's say foundation, any straight line. Yeah. Um, it is based on a a line, or not even a line, but it just say a a windy road, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. And it's I was arbitrary. Actually, exactly. I was I was really actually thinking through that point mm-hmm. this week because with the potential overturning of Roe versus Wade, people have commented on it that all of a sudden everyone's a biologist, and we're now saying that it's a war against women. Now, the reason why they're saying everyone's a biologist is because very famously just a month ago when they were (laughs) confirming the new Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson, who everyone's hailing as the first black female Supreme Court Justice, she was asked on the bench what a woman was. And she said, well, I'm not a biologist, so I can't answer that. So that's kind of how far we've gone. But now everyone's saying that this is a war on women. So a month ago, we couldn't define what a woman was unless you're a biologist. And even then, you can't define what a woman is. And now everyone's saying that it's a war on women because specifically this attacks women. And there was a New York Times article that came out last week, too, that was like, well, you know, in areas where we're talking about transgenderism, we say birthing persons. But in areas when we're talking about abortion, it's important that we say mothers and women's rights. And I was just like, that's so interesting that they can they can see the contradiction and say, we don't care. And I was trying to figure out how can you do that? How can you have these two very contradictory points in your head at the same point? Is it just manipulation? Is it straight up deception? What is this? And I learned uh, just two days ago that Karl Marx didn't just have an economic theory. He actually had an entire philosophy about mankind. And one of the things that he said about human nature is he says that we are conscious observers. And what he meant by that is he doesn't just mean that we have consciousness and we're able to see things. What he meant is that human beings uniquely can shape the world through our consciousness. So we could observe things, imagine things, and put them into the reality. Now, this is where it gets a little squirrely. What he says is that, therefore, if we want the world to become more human and less natural, which he saw as a good thing, we need to actually fight nature and just imagine a better world. So, in other words, anything that's natural, like a woman has a womb, therefore, 
it just makes logical sense that yeah. she could be a mother. His idea was if we want her to become even more human, we actually deny the natural order and we imagine the world we wa- as we want it to be. And yeah. then it's becoming better. And what's what's so funny is no can can anybody not can never can it can people not see the narcissism in what Karl Marx was saying. Yeah. Is like okay, let's get rid of the natural. Let's get of what's what's normal, what's what's objectively naturally, uh, or what's in nature, what's seen every day in nature. Let's get rid of that and let us, you know, <laughs> let, let us. Who's the us? Let us. Let let this group. Let's let the misinformation right. team, you <laughs> know, decipher, you know, what the right context is and what words to use in that context. Right. And, you know, and, and we'll make our own world. Well, what, who, you, who's the us making <laughs> the world? Like, like, uh, you know, um, you know, you know, that's, that's it. And I think, you know, what it comes down to, I, uh, in, in a lot of ways is, is that we are, um, you know, the Bible says that we are blind, deaf, dumb, mute, yeah. um, disobedient, go astray. Uh, the Bible teaches that we are so separated from God. And that's why God is not present with us right now is that uh, um, we it's not that there's nothing in the world that can shine God. No, there are things in the world that show um, the the work of God and his handiwork. Um, But there is a blindness that has happened to us as human beings. Our sins are so rooted Mm. um, um, in us and, and the selfishness and that you can't see it. Uh, you literally cannot see it. And um, and I've been there before in my life where, you know, you think you're doing the right thing and you think you're on the right team um, and you're trying to supposedly help people out. Right. Um, but you're so you're just so blind uh, and you're so fearful, too. You don't want to um, listen to anybody else because you don't want to be wrong. Being wrong is what everything in your world is being set up to um to not go in that right. direction, you know? And so, um, you know, the worst thing you could do, uh, as a kind of a secular atheist is be wrong. Right. You know, and, uh, or, or just a secularist. Right. Just, let me, even if it, you're a religious humanitarian, yeah. you know, is, is to be like, no, maybe, maybe the electric cars aren't going to help everything. Yeah. Maybe in, you know, you go on Ted talk and you read, you listen to people talk about electric, uh, uh, especially like solar panels yeah. and stuff like that. And, and they'll tell you that, man, it's going to create more of a havoc in the natural world. Right. Even Elon Musk, the dude who <laughs> yeah. has the, the biggest company that right. produces them will say that. Yeah. Right. And you're like, Oh my heavens, that's great. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so it's like, it's just a giant train wreck, but right. you know, you know, I know in my life, I just, I built up so many areas in my life where I, I just, and, and, and it was all to, to, to prevent me from having to, to see that maybe I'm wrong and see the falsities of my life and of my philosophy. But isn't that crazy that you bring up that point of how it seems so obvious, right? It's like one week they write about, hey, we need to be, you know, we have to check our pronouns, right. you know, and how we're calling people. And then the next, the next week, you know, it's like, hey, you know, woman, yeah. you know, let's use woman. So kind of a confusing right. uh, world. It'll drive us insane. Right. You know, but. Um, and that's kind of like that was Marx's point 
is that yeah. this was the way that humanity would evolve is that like when you ask well who's doing it well in marx's view the people that agreed with marx right should be the ones so <laughs> they in marx's view he's like it doesn't matter if i'm contradictory right it just matters that i have power that's right because that's, i am setting the world right that's right as long as you have enough people that are with you in your madness mm -hmm. it, it it can it can it, and you have the power to administrate, you know, the the stuff you want to do in the world, then, um, you know, it can seem like a million bucks. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a reason why people drink the Kool-Aid, yeah. you know. No, you're right. And that's why, you know, Christianity is so beautiful. One of the main passages in the Bible is do not be wise in your own eyes. Mm -hmm. Fear the Lord and shun evil. So there's this idea of as Christians where do we have the revelation of God? Yeah. And we should be humbled by that and we should always seek it. But you know what? There's a lot we don't know. Yeah. And if you think you know everything, you don't know anything, right? The, yeah. The more you recognize your foolishness, the more you recognize your inability to understand nature, the more you're going to press into God and you're going to seek to understand things in humility. But the more you think, no, I got it all together. I got it all figured out the more you actually don't and you're probably going to make a mess of your life and anyone that is underneath your power. Yeah, there's many passages in the Bible like that. I think of the New Testament. There's a passage that says, uh, have no confidence in the flesh. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think of uh, Jeremiah 17, verse 5, cursed is the human who trusts in humans right. and makes humans his strength. Right. You know, and, uh, you know, because our, our hearts do um, fall apart and... Um, you know, what, what, you know, uh, what's, what makes one person's, you know, what they think better than another person and what they, pe what they think, right. it really has to do with, you're right, power, right. You know, who is in power. And right now we are definitely in a 1984 Orwell playbook. Yeah. I mean, everything that's coming out with the administration is, seems to be right out of the book. Yeah. It's almost like someone's reading it and just yeah. kind of going, hey, you know what? Orwell had some pretty cool thoughts here. And it is funny because, you know, obviously uh, George Orwell, who wrote 1984, he knew a lot about Marxism. Yeah. And the book is not he couldn't get himself to really condemn Marxism, mm -hmm. but he really was against communism. And the party in 1984, they have a theory called doublethink. And it's the capacity to hold two contradictory theories in your head at the same time. And at the end, he's talking to this guy named O'Brien, who's like one of the head dudes. And he's like, it doesn't matter if two plus two equals four or five. All that matters is we have the power and we say what it is. That's right. You know, and that's what's happening with the L.A. Times article right. uh, and how they switch gears at different times, right? Right. One minute you can say this, one minute you can't say this, one minute we are talking about the feminine mm -hmm. uh, and and we are really on hyper alert about the femininity right. uh, of, uh, of a female having a womb. Yeah. And then the next minute we're being condemned for talking about that. Right. And so, and that's a very double speak kind of point of view. Absolutely. So as Christians, as we go about the current day to day, I think a couple, just a couple passing thoughts as we wrap up this subject uh number one don't let it 
get you to the cynical place where you're just like, the world is just terrible. It's lost. I'm done trying to talk to people. Yeah. And it's always been. Right. It's always been lost. It's always been a mess. Mm-hmm. There's Every philosophy of man goes apart from the gospel. That's what Paul says in the book of Galatians when Peter's getting a little on his high horse through Judaism. He's like, even we. We had Judaism. That's great. But even we need the gospel, Peter. There is no philosophy of man that touches God. So we need to be very humble about that. We need to understand, again, as, uh, as Paul speaking, he says, knowing that such were some of you. <laughs> like mm. you, were, you were in that same kind of category, and God has saved you out of it. So uh, try not to get too cynical, too discouraged, too vengeful against the culture around you. Yes. And hone in on, understand that the truth of the Bible is so simple. You know, one of the things that this mentality is trying to convince us of is that every topic even biology is super complicated it's not don't let people throw you off and use all this scientific lingo it's really 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 simple if you uh they had this bell curve which i thought was really funny that they put out online and on one side of the bell curve it was like the totally uneducated dude who's just on the beach or like in the in the trailer park and he's saying things like oh yeah men are men women are women and and everything he's saying they're like it's so simple but it's all true and then on the the peak of the bell curve is like the cambridge oxford graduate person who's like highly intellectual and they're like well actually (laughs) you know there is no such thing as women and there is no thing as it's a spectrum and then as you go down to the the final end of the bell curve which is like the the masters of the universe the most intelligent people ever they're like no there's men and women (laughs) (laughs) so it's like the people are like the genius above all geniuses are like agreeing with the the person who is on the the other side of the (laughs) bell curve and uh, I can't remember. I think it was uh, Louis Pasteur. He once said a little. No, it was Francis Bacon. He said a little bit of science inclines a man towards materialism, but much learning inclines him back to theism. Yeah. So the simple things of the Bible are the true things. Hone in on those. Learn them. Understand them. And try to communicate in a simple way to those around you. Don't let them distract you with all this type of large vocabulary and stuff like this. It's, yeah. it's really simple issues. Yeah, absolutely. So you're listening to A Reason for Hope. My name's Bo. This is Peter. Um, definitely check out all the resources at A Reason for Hope on the Facebook page or YouTube page, Facebook page, Calvary Christian Fellowship um, on Facebook. And now let's get to some questions. Frederick says, how did God determine numbers? I like math. Did math always exist or did God create it? Thank you. And that is on CalvaryChristianFellowship.com. So they get one point because <laughs> I'm keeping score. It's a really good question. Yeah. So basically when God creates the universe, when he creates the heavens and the earth, there are certain prerequisites for creation, meaning things that exist outside of what we call time, matter, and space. So that's what we mean when we say that God created. He created the physical universe. But there were things that are in God that are therefore uncreated, meaning that if God pre-exists, then his being dictates particulars of the universe and actually orients the universe towards his logical or reasonable being. So one of those things would be love, right? God didn't create love. God is love. That's what it says in 1 John 4, verse 8. Love is intangible. You can't see it. You can't quantify it, but it does exist. It's a raw fact that is immaterial within the universe. Another one is, is numbers. So before God said, let there be light, there were three members of the Trinity, Right. So there, there was no moment in time or a moment outside of time in which numerical values and distinctions didn't exist 
because God in his being has numerical distinctions within himself. So when he creates, mm. the universe naturally orients itself to the numerical values that, asc- that descend from God's being. So very good question, though. And so things like laws of logic, things like numbers, things like, uh, you know, any of these type of immaterial things that we take for granted on a day-to-day basis, these all just come from God's being. They are the things that touch the spiritual and the material simultaneously. Hmm. I've always heard people, I, I want to say math, a mathematician, or I've always heard a mathematician say something like math is the language of God, mm. something like that. Yeah. Um, um, but sure yeah, Pascal probably said that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, but very good question. So um, I'm sure we could pontificate about that one quite a bit mm. too. Math is, uh, is like the laws of logic. Right. In that uh, you you can't fight against it. Right. You know, um, if you try to fight against laws of logic, um, you become incoherent. Right. It becomes blah, blah. It's, you know, it's almost like picking up a, an instrument and just, just hitting strings, mm. you know, without order. Right. You know, no, it, it takes a, it, there is a necessary order for your brain to comprehend. Right. Um, music. Right. And that's because there's a mathematical component to it right and as you as it formats into that mathematical equation right. um then your brain amazingly yeah without even training right knows it right off the bat picks it up knows it's harmonious everything like that yeah yeah but but how can you can you really you know can you quantify yeah. <laughs> all that you know um no it's just amazing though right. how that works so right. there are these amazing things that are unquantifiable right but that are r- as real as anything right and so that's why the argument too when people say hey I can't see God and I don't, I don't believe anything I can't see. Right. Well, that's ridiculous. Right. Right. Do you believe in the laws of logic? (laughs) Yeah. You could even say like, show me a two. Right. You can show me a symbol of the number two. You can put two things together and show me a, uh, a metaphor of two, like an actual lived out reality of two, but you can't show me two because two is a concept. It's just something that we use to understand the world. That's why I could use two in any language and it's still conveying the same exact thing. Right. So it is, as I said, it is the material immaterial that touches the material. And it is, by the way, the existence of things like this is a real threat to what we would call strict materialism because they can't give an account for things that aren't quantifiable. Mm, Very cool. So thanks, Frederick, for the question on our Calvary Christian Fellowship dot com comment corner. Facebook is just chilling out listening. Those The Facebook folk are just kind of like, yo, what's up? How's it going? <laughs> hey, why don't the Facebook uh, folk tell us like how you're like – how the sermon was, where you where you're from, how was your Sunday sermon? The, was it a Mother's Day sermon? Was it not? Let us know, you know, in the comment corner. That'd be interesting. And there's no one on YouTube right now. YouTube is just dry, man. YouTube's done. It's, it's <laughs> done. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's gone. No. So, um, but anyway, Nina says we're going to go back to CalvaryChristianFellowship.com because they are in the question mode. So, um, it says, uh, let's see. Nina, Peter and Bo have, let's see, have women been created or had women been created first and matriarchy been permitted by God? Would things be different and it be 
Satan disliking men? Oh, cool question, right? It's a hypothetical. Yeah, so uh, a couple different ways to look at this. Um, so when we say men versus women, again, we are talking about the biological distinction between men and women, that women have the capacity to bear children and men do not. So in other words, men give the material necessary. Women's bodies are able to then translate that material into life they're able to nurture that life and to bear that life and then to proceed to nurture the life with the body. That is the distinction between men and women, what our bodies and biology are capable of doing. So you could throw the language around however you want, but there would have had to have been one gender that could bear life and the other gender that could not. And that's what we're calling men and women. So if what you're saying is, is it feasible or possible that the gender that could bear life would be the leader and the gender that couldn't would be the follower. Um, there's a couple reasons why I would say that's not plausible. Uh, remember, the gender distinctions that God created in the garden, they were there to reflect his nature because God comprises both masculine and feminine qualities. In Genesis 1.27, says, In the image of God, he created man. In the image of God, he created them, both male and female. So this is signifying that we both bear God's image. It's not like men bear God's image and women don't. We both bear a unique aspect of God's image, which is why even though Jesus was a man, all Christians are called to emulate him, right? It's not like women have a female savior and men have a male savior that we emulate. We both emulate Christ because he comprises both masculine and feminine qualities, but he bears the image of a male because there is a hierarchy within the Trinity. So although the Trinity is distinctive persons, co-equal and co-eternal, they do have distinctions in role. The Father is the head of the Son. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Father is the head of the Son, and the Son subordinates himself to the Father. That's his role. Now, why does that reflect male and female? Paul makes the connection, by the way, in the very next verse. The father is the head of the son. Man is the head of woman. Well, what's the correlation there? The woman gives her body for the children. The man gives himself for the wife. In the same way, the son gives his body for his offspring, namely those who will be saved through him. The father gives us the son, gives himself into the son and allows the son to live out that life unto himself. So because of that, that hierarchy is reflected in the roles that God puts within men and women. And I spoke a little bit. I don't know what you think about that theory. Um, so I, I mentioned a theory that mm -hmm. some people think that Satan's hatred for women is because women uniquely can bear children. Yeah, I image. thought it was great. What do you, yeah, you think, do you think that that holds water or no? Yeah, so Peter was saying that some people's theory is that Satan's animosity towards women and even why Eve was tempted in, in the Garden of Eden and not Adam was due to a jealousy of her being created at, in the image of God, but as someone who can um, produce want someone, uh, where the child would be. Um, and, and, and hence really complete the image bearing work right. of the male and the female. Right. And, and that's really it just as God is a triunity, mm. 
co-eternal, co-existing together. Um, so God it, it creates male, woman, and child, mm. and creates this three, and um, on the earth. And so, um, y- you know, I know this is a little what we call metaphysical because it's talking about the beginnings or the origins. When you hear that word metaphysical, just think of origins. Right. You know, talking about the origins of things, how things got to where they're at. Right. You know, kind of thing. But knowing a little bit about Satan's character, it's plausible. Yeah. You know, because he's he he obviously pride right. um, and that kind of all that stuff. And the angels lack the capacity to create in their own image. That's right. Yeah. So I thought that was those were good points that, um, you know, uh, it, it's amazing. But the Bible paints a very high um, position for human beings. Right. Um, even it says we will judge angels. Right. That we are made in the image of God. And that image bearing that we can do puts us on quite a high place in the uh, heavenly realm, if you will. Yeah. With all the other created beings that are there. Right. And so there is something very unique within the the human condition, but it's marred. Right. At, at this moment, you know, um, we can we we can see the image very faintly, but uh, that's all we can see. Yeah. Is, is a faint image. And actually, me and Bo were talking about this before the broadcast began. Uh, a psychologist named Jordan Peterson, he posed the question of why is it that Adam has a part of his body taken and Eve is fashioned out of it? You know, why isn't Eve fashioned from the dirt, which is what all living things were fashioned out of, was the dirt. Why out of the body? And there's certain uh, there's certain symbolic reasons as to why Eve was taken out of Adam's body. Sure. If she was taken out of the earth, it could have been very easily argued that Eve was not equal with Adam because she was created second. But because she actually comes from his very being, there's no argument for her being lesser than because she actually shares the substance of Adam. But Another reason that he posed is, is it possible that Adam, prior to the creation of Eve, actually had both masculine and feminine perfectly harmonious within his being? And God seeing that, like, I don't want man to be a unipersonal being, meaning that the masculine and feminine are contained in one person. I want him to be able to reflect me because I'm multipersonal with masculine and feminine traits. So I'm going to split Adam into two. I'm going to take a piece of him and fashion the feminine quality and then bring that quality back to the masculine yeah. and have them become one. So that's another interesting idea of that. It's not that the masculine technically came first. It's that man came first and was divided into masculine and feminine and then reunited under the banner. Yeah. Did Adam have a womb? I don't know. Right. Uh, You know, I went, I mean, you don't think so like in the way we think. Right. But what, you know, we don't know. Right. Um, We have no idea how that, how that was. It's an interesting theory, but yeah, Yeah. we have no idea. So uh, Nina, let's see, let's go to Justin. Uh, When did life begin? How did God know us before we were born? Ooh, good question. Justin, I think you might be referring to um, maybe a passage in the book of Timothy. Um, That's, that's maybe the passage that I was thinking of. Um, Yeah. Maybe not, though. There's other ones. Well, there's other ones that talk about he knew us when we were fashioned in the womb. Right. Um, Psalm 139. Yeah. Talks about that. 
and Jeremiah, God directly says that to him, that he knew he knew Jeremiah before he was born, before he was in his mother's womb. He said that God knew him. Yeah, it says, uh, I was thinking of 2 Timothy 1, where it says, um, uh, let's see, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, that's verse 8, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Um, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and life and immortality to light through the gospel. So that's that's kind of where my m- mind went, is that before the uh, time began, um, there was already our purpose in Christ. Um, so you want to have a crack at that? When did life begin? I guess that's this first question, and how did God know us before we were born? Yeah, so we actually do get an idea of when life began throughout the the beginnings of Genesis. So if you read the beginnings of Genesis, we see that God creates inanimate life first. Um, and by the way, there is a passage in Job that insinuates very heavily that angelic life predates human life. So in the book of Job, there's a section where we're told that the angels, the morning stars, sang as God laid the foundations of the earth. Mm-hmm. So that would insinuate that angelic life actually predates human life. But God goes through inanimate creation throughout the physical universe, and then he gets to plant life, botanical life. And then so we get the first instances of life in that, in that creation. And then God moves on to animal life, right? He creates the fish and the birds and the beasts and the insects and everything like that. And then he gets to mankind. So he's almost building to a crescendo, right? So he's like a, like someone uh, composing an orchestra, and he's building and building, and then he gets to the crescendo, which would be the, the creation of mankind. Uh, he says, made in his image, he breathes life into man, and then they have a relationship instantaneously. Very, very beautiful for sure. So that's how we know life began. When it comes to God knowing us before we were born, What we mean is that God is a being who doesn't exist in time. So we exist in time. So I have to, at a certain point in my life, I have to get to know somebody. And then we develop a relationship that proceeds. And then eventually we die. God exists outside of time, meaning that he can interact. God, when it comes to his experiences, he doesn't experience things successively like we do. Like there's today, tomorrow, and there was also yesterday. God, on the other hand, he's able to experience time almost simultaneously. Like he experiences it very different than we do. That's why he refers to himself as the I am, right? He's not the, I I like what Chuck Smith said. Like if I say I am, well, I I guess when I said that, that was a couple seconds ago. So I guess I was, you know, like, and then I guess I will be in the future, right? There's, there's not a pre-eternal and eternal self-existence that's beyond time. That's what God has and no other being has that. So a good way to understand this for me is in sci-fi type movies and books and literature like that, where you have someone who could travel in time. So, uh, for instance, Back to the Future is the classic, and Marty McFly goes back in time, and he meets his parents. Now, they, because he's back in time, and they haven't met him yet, he's their son, they haven't actually had him yet, they don't know him, but he knows them. And beyond that, not only does he know them, he knows a version of them 
that doesn't exist yet, right? So he meets his dad, and his dad's really nerdy. He's not together with his mom. His mom is, like, you know, on the prowl, like, for a man. And he's getting to know these versions of his parents that he's actually never met before. So he could rightly say that he already knows these people, right? He already has a relationship with them, but it's because they're not at that point in time when that relationship exists. The relationship isn't yet in reality. So God's kind of like that. Until you're born, when you put that point of time on the map, you're born, then God can know you in time. But because he's timeless, he's always known you even before that moment existed. Mm. I guess it's the easiest way I could explain it. I don't know if you could make it a little simpler. <laughs> yeah, well, that was awesome. No, yeah. I think it's a, it's a, it's one of those again met, very heavy metaphysical questions yeah. that Justin asked. Yeah. You know, when did life begin? Um, you know, that's one of those ones where different people are going to give you different answers in the Christian world a I'm lot of times. Actually, now that I rethink that question, and let us know if this is what you meant. Do you mean when does your life begin? Like not a general like when did life begin? Oh, but when, when did your life? When begin? do you begin to exist as a human? Mm-hmm. Um, so if I were to answer that one, it would be a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, so we begin to exist as a human being at the moment of conception. We know that scientifically beyond a shadow of a doubt. So the moment of conception, once the the sperm goes into the egg and forms a zygote and that implants on the the uterus, we know scientifically beyond a shadow of a doubt that that unique that unique being is alive. Its cells are dividing. It is definitely not dead. It is growing. It is developing. It has a unique DNA strand that is completely different from the mother's and the father's. And within that DNA strand, actually, is all the building blocks for the kind of person that's going to be there. So at that moment of conception, that DNA strand already reads whether that child's going to be male or female. It could tell them the eye color. It could tell them whether or not they're going to be bald one day. It could tell you anything about your genetics. It's already written on your code the second of conception. So uh, biblically, there's evidence for sure. There are passages that allude to the idea that life begins at conception. But now that we have the scientific advancements, we can know for an absolute certainty that, yes, we are to take these passages literally. Yes, at the moment of conception, you are a unique human life, and therefore you exist. That's your beginning of life. Yeah. And you know what? What I thought came to my mind is uh, when does life begin? And um, and it made me think like, well, where? Um, and this is this is why I, I say that is because the biblical account in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, and it goes into this direction and God said, and God said, obviously it's a creation account. Mm. It's the creation of life as we know it on the earth. And that's what, that's what I kind of want to clarify in that question is that when did life begin? Like, what do you, like, does it, you said, hey, does it, does he mean my life? Does he mean, you know, the, the earth? Um, when did, when does the Bible say earth began? Mm-hmm. Um, um, when did humans, when their life began? 
right. when, say, life in the plants began. Right. Or when there was um, life, we could say that angels have life. We could say that God has life. We can say God, yeah, he is the way, the truth, and the life. life. So I guess life uh, so never So God began. is life, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so in a sense, when you say, like, and, and this is what I think is interesting. When you say, when did life begin, I think life itself is a is an e- eternal concept. It's an infinity statement. Right. It's an infinity concept. Right. Life is infinity. You know, it is the in- infinite. Mm. And God is the infinite. Right. And yet, yet there are, yet there is, um, there is an outpouring of God as life into other things. Right. And... And they have all their, and there's a passage that it's in Romans where it says we live and move when we have our, our being is in him. Right. And it's a really interesting passage. Do you remember? It's like 12, 14 or 15. Remember that in yeah. him, we move and have our being or maybe, yeah. maybe it's not in Acts 17. Oh yeah. Acts yeah. 17. That's right. That's right. In him, we move and have our being. And it's very interesting because Paul's talking about to non-believers. Right. He, Paul in Acts 17 is talking to non-believers and he says, hey, you guys have your life in God. Right. Which is really interesting. It is. Because we would we think usually like, oh, if you have life, you have spiritual life. Right. Uh, but Paul understood that that there was a, a a outflow of God's life, the infinite life bearer, right. if you will, that came upon anything that's created by him. Right. And so when you, so does that make sense though? Yeah. So when you're saying, when does life begin? It's yeah. almost a trick question. Yeah. C.S. Lewis, he actually used Greek words to help people understand this. So yeah. he used the words Zoe and bios. Mm-hmm. So bios, actually you could see it in the word. It means biological life. So yeah. it's like, you know, we have, we have bios at the moment of conception. That's when we have life, mm-hmm. but we don't have Zoe, which he explained as like, life in and of itself like true life yeah. the kind of life that jesus promises when eternal says, life eternal life when he says i am the way the truth and the life right what kind of life is jesus talking about and c.s lewis said he's talking about zoe not bios uh you don't have that life until you're reconnected with your creator so the moment that you come back into relation with god then you are born again you receive a new life in him and a different it's a different quality of life too yeah and i i just find it so fascinating is act 17 i'm glad we found that passage because i i I can't i i don't want to understate that idea of in him we move and it says that for in him 28 we live and move and have our being right you know so even the non-christian is in 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 that life right we you know their life is a outpouring of the infinite right it is an outpouring of the life of god right and in him we move no matter where we're at and have our being um and i find that so interesting we're all in god Mm. Uh, we all have been made by him right we everything that is made everything that has life um has um in a sense something of god in it Right. But there's a distinction between the plant life and the life that we call uh, or the, the kind of life that is in a plant or right. in a flower. Right. That we have conscious life. Th- yeah, that we have conscious life. And the Bible continually uses this term like the breath of God. Right. 
you know, this, which breath, spirit, very similar, even I think the same in Hebrew. Right. Um, um, so the idea that God gives us something extra of his life, right. The, uh, the ability to comprehend God, right. The ability to have be in companionship with God right. and the ability to reflect God in a certain way. So, uh, you know, it, it's a very interesting thing. I think it's a big, there's a big, a lot to do with that idea of life in mm. that word life, right. You know, that's there, but yeah, in him, we move and have our being, we have our life, right. everybody, right. You know? Um, so I, I, very interesting, very cool. So, um, um, it says, Nia says, when we're bacteria and fungus, or when bacteria and fungus were created, we discover life that are neither animals nor plants. That's true. Yeah, uh, to a certain extent, you know, you could you could classify uh, bacteria in a certain animalistic sense, but you know, I I understand why some people would classify in its own unique mm-hmm. capacity. Right. You know. Yeah, because it's de- it's definitely it's again a like a different. Yeah. And that's what we're talking about, right? Right. It's kind of different quality, different kinds. The germ. Yeah. No, for sure. And modern day, very modern that we figured that out. Now, this is how uh, Mike talks about uh, the Trinity. He says, the Father is the planner, the Son is the accomplisher, and the Holy Spirit is the applier. That's how he, he kind of puts it when we were talking about the Trinity and that kind of thing. Yeah, the roles. And it's kind of neat because we had, um, you guys were really catching that whole Satan in the Garden of Eden with Eve thing, too, because I saw some of your comments were very much... Uh, uh, talking about that, like, could that be w- the why? Justin says, could that be why Satan didn't tempt Adam by himself before Eve was created? Right. So I think people are catching that idea of that theory of maybe Satan really went at Eve right. because of that interesting feminine quality right, that he hates. That he, he hates the woman. Yeah, and and the interesting thing is, as we talked about, and and Peter brought out in his messages on Sunday, is that you know when you look at the Antichrist, not a lover of woman. Right. The Daniel chapter 12, 11, 11, chapter 11, you see, um, you know, the attack in Revelation chapter 12 of the seed of woman. Right. Which is a reference to Genesis chapter three, where there's enmity, the Bible says, between Satan and the woman and her offspring. Right. And then you see, of course, the amazing genocidal attacks that are going on in the Jewish world um, all throughout the Old Testament. Right. And, um, um, you know, wiping out, um, you know, women. Right. And uh, and very interesting. So it wouldn't be a shocker if today Satan is at work again and he says, hey, you know what? If we can just erase the idea of women. Right. Maybe that's what will get them. Right. You know, in the cult in the current culture. Right. And if we we can get just if we can get them to not use the term woman, if we can get them not to turn use the term female, if we can get them not to turn and really change the values. And not see it as a as a unique value. Yeah. Um, You know, that. To me, and I, I brought this up in the sermon, I feel like our culture is more detrimental to women than any that precedes us. Yeah. Right. Because, again, it's that it's that erasure. I would rather be oppressed than erased. Mm-hmm. That's that's just my personal preference, you know. And so Satan yeah. has in kind of this uh, the C.S. Lewis saw it this way. And I agree with him. He saw the current Western civilization of postmodernism and relativistic thought. He saw it as like the peak 
the pinnacle, the fulfillment of Satan's taunt to man in the Garden of Eden. You will become like gods. Yeah, that you can start deciphering. That's right. That we have thrown off all sense of objective truth. We've thrown off all sets of religious obligation and even natural order. And now we really have taken our place. And he said, we, we've finally taken our place as gods. Mm. And he says, through the sciences, we can make ourselves into whatever we want. And we don't have to be reliant or dependent on anything outside ourselves. Yeah, very interesting. In the current culture, the reason why Peter's saying that it's worse than before, and you might go, well, how can it be? You know, so much atrocities have happened to women mm. all throughout the ancient world. And that's true, but I think one of the points you pointed out that was really good is at least the ancient world, though, still knew. Right. And they never tried to not say that women were valuable right. for um, because of their biology. Right. That they had a super-duper valuable place in society. Right. They just, what people did is they just mistreated them because of that. They right. use that maybe as an excuse to mistreat them right. or to treat them harshly and, and people could overpower them or something like that. Um, uh, but they, but they still saw that, man, that was needed. Right. You know, where what we're doing is trying to erase right. the whole biological need, the purpose and its value. Right. In how in how children are raised and how those qualities affect us in the society, even as adults. Right. Like what if we have a society without feminine qualities? Right. And you brought up some of that. What would that look like? Right. A world without feminine qualities qualities. And isn't that what the world's trying to do now? Take away even f the feminine and the masculine qual qu uh, qualities. Right. And make us into almost like a, a, a um, nothing. Right. Almost making us into something that is no longer passionate at all about anything. Right. You know, that we can just sit in front of the TV and just kind of lamp out, yeah. you know, and be happy. So it's very interesting. I think Pink Floyd wrote a song about this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I did bring it up in the, in the sermon. I thought this was interesting. Uh, this point was made to me that every major science fiction work in the last 200 years has always seen a dystopian future in which women don't exist. The role of a woman has been replaced. And it began with the story of Frankenstein, in which Frankenstein creates life without the use of a woman. And it progresses throughout human history. And then some of the modern classics that we have, even Brave New World. Yeah. Right? There's no mothers in a Brave New World. They're growing children in vats, essentially. Right. Um, in 1984, they're forcing, they're, they're treating women just like men. But they, at a certain point, they're like, well, we can't get around the biology, so they'll just, we'll just have them pump out a kid, and then they'll go back to Which reminds doing. me like Mao. Right. What Mao did, right? Cut all the women had to cut their hair. Right. They all had to have a really short haircut like the men. Right. They, he literally just um, mask or... Defeminized. Uh, right. Defeminized, yeah. yeah, the whole culture. Right. And um, they could still produce kids. Right. But they had to pretty much... Be like a dude. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously in Terminator, which is one of my favorite movies. I like Terminator. Nah. Uh, yeah. You have <laughs> the machines propagating life without the use of a mother. 
And who do they send the machine back to kill? The mom. The mother. An uh, alien. You mentioned alien. So alien. you really got into some cool culture thing. I yeah. loved the 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 um, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. So um, there was some good stuff in those sermons. So if you're just catching us on A Reason for Hope, check out Peter's sermons from this Mother's Day. Go to A Reason for Hope at the YouTube page, A Reason for Hope. So, and uh, check out, there's three different messages, one at 8, one at 9.30, one at 11 o'clock, all different messages on motherhood (laughs) and uh, very unique kind of messages. Um, But I think any woman that was there would have left and went like, wow, that was, that was impactful. And man, do I have uh, an amazing, um, you know, worth in in society and you even talked about women that couldn't have children right uh and and so many things that i thought were so awesome mm-hmm. and um you touched on a lot of good things you needed three sermons to get through yeah, all day, I did. <laughs> yeah I did. could have used a fourth to be honest yeah yeah, yeah totally well mm-hmm. i i want to tell everybody that the calvary christian fellowship page wins the day man These, <laughs> the, the people on the calvary christian fellowship page have just been asking good questions and we really thank you so much for tuning in youtube page they're they're listening and we they said they love us you know and that they're listening so hey man we're nice. stoked yeah <laughs> and uh, yari says will the new heaven and earth be created in a similar fashion as this earth first non-life then plants then animals then the saints we come into uh, uh we come into the scene um you know yari we're not told about the new heaven and in the new earth and exactly what's gonna um transpire with that so there are a couple of interesting passages i would point to real quick because we're out of time we got 10 seconds yeah. why don't we take this one next uh, tomorrow yeah i could yeah, just hold on to that one, Yari. Yari, this will be tomorrow's first one, okay? So we'll touch with that. Thanks so much for joining us on this edition of A Reason for Hope. We'll catch you guys tomorrow. Take care. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.